How many of you guys think that hell is like a real thing, a real place? That's good. Okay. Uh, how many of you guys have been to a funeral before? Most of you guys? What's the most common statement made when someone passes away? I heard it. They're in a better place, right? Guys, uh, I, have, I have hard things to say tonight, um, and, and some of you might be offended. Some of you guys might hear what I say and, and walk away bitter and angry. I hope that's not the case, because I'm going to say some things uh, that the Bible tells us, and these things are true. It doesn't make it easier for us to stomach. So I want you to stay with me the whole time. Bear with me, because we're going to cover some stuff. But the truth is, not everybody's in a better place. I've been to many funerals in my life. Uh, I've done a couple funerals where I've just been blessed by this family that loves Jesus and got to see people take their last breaths after saying, I'm going home to Jesus. I know I'm saved. I know, like, and that's such a, a really beautiful thing. But guys, I've been a part of funerals where I don't know if the person knew Jesus. I was uh, really young in my ministry, and uh, a girl that I had actually coached in track had gone off to play volleyball at a school in, some, in California, I think. And she had come back, and she was really depressed, and she ended up taking her life that summer. And the family who went to our church asked us to do the funeral. And guys, it was, it was heartbreaking, absolutely heartbreaking. I'm sure some of you in the seats have somebody you know that is taken their life, or you've been affected by suicide. Um, that doesn't, what I'm about to talk about tonight has so much more to do with God than the bad things that you might associate with hell or the bad things that you might associate with death. So we're going to kind of jump in. Uh, hopefully you guys can hang with me. Uh, I promise that the light at the end of the tunnel is good and we will get there. But um, what if I told you guys that the doctrine of hell or the existence of hell should actually increase or encourage our worship? Is that a foreign thought? Because up until a couple weeks ago, that was a foreign thought to me. And as I studied and, and thought about hell, I thought about worship. And guys, uh, thinking about hell and how it should encourage us to worship more and to love our God more is really, really hard. But it's true. So stay with me. What comes to mind when you guys think of hell? Fire. Fire. Uh, something, what? Okay. Keep going. Anybody else? Screaming. Okay, you guys know that Jesus actually talked about hell more than he talked about heaven? So if you go in scripture, you can actually see Jesus describe what hell will be like. In a couple places I'll, I'll, I'll share, Second Thessalonians 1, 8 and 9 says, In flaming fire, inflicting vengeance on those who do not know God, and on those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. They will suffer the punishment of eternal destruction, away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his might. And Matthew 25, 41 says, Then he will say to those on his left, Depart from me, you cursed, into the eternal fire, prepared for the devils and his angels. Um, guys, you probably have heard that hell, like you've probably heard it defined lots of different ways, and you've probably been, if you've been in the church culture, you've had people talk a little bit about hell, and you, you know that 
there's going to be suffering and it's going to be fire. It's going to be screaming. There's going to be all this torment and torture. Uh, but C.S. Lewis says it this way, that hell um, or heaven is this ever increasing further up, further into joy, into God, into life. Hell is the opposite of that. It's an everlasting movement away from God. Uh, up until recently, uh, I'd, I'd always associated hell with the separation from God. Have you guys heard that before? Going to hell is being separated from God. Uh, I was challenged on that, and I wanna, I'm going to share this, and then I want to share some scripture. But think of it this way. Hell is experiencing God as judge instead of experiencing him as loving father. Hell is experiencing God as judge, not as a loving father, for eternity. It's a conscious and physical existence where God's wrath is eternally poured out. And the love and the joy that we want to experience when we think of God is unattainable. Sounds pretty crappy, huh? Uh, if you guys would, just turn to Luke 16 real quick. For those of you that don't have your Bibles, you can get on your phones and look it up online. There's a parable in Luke 16. Go to verse 19. Um, the rich man and Lazarus. Jesus tells parables. Do you guys know why Jesus tells parables? He tells them to kind of give an illustration or a picture of kingdom realities in a way that we can hopefully understand and glean what he's trying to say. Here we see, I'm not going to read all of it, but we see that there's this rich man, right, who is blessed and has all the food that he wants, has, is just living a life of luxury. And then there's this guy, Lazarus, Lazarus, who sits at his doorstep and would just be happy to have the scraps that fall off the table. We're going to pick up right at... Um, uh, da, 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 da. Um, 22, verse 22. The poor man died and was carried by the angels to Abraham's side. The rich man also died and was buried. And in Hades, being in torment, he lifted up his eyes and saw Abraham far off and Lazarus at his side. And he called out, Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus to dip the end of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I am in anguish in this flame. But Abraham said, Child, remember that you in your lifetime received your good things, and Lazarus in like manner bad things. But now he is comforted here, and you are in anguish. And besides all this, between us and you, a great chasm has been fixed in order that those who would pass from here to you may not be able, and none may cross from there to us. And he said, Then I beg you, Father, to send him to my father's house, goes on to talk more. But what we see there is this rich man saying, I'm in anguish. And then Abraham, who's a God figure, saying, there's a chasm between us. And you can see Lazarus, and you can see this awesome life that he's living now in eternity, and you can't have it. I'm going to ask you guys a question. How can a loving God send someone to hell? How many of you guys have asked that question? You can raise your hand. How many of you guys know people that have asked that question? How can a loving God send people to hell? Has anybody here tried to defend that to their friends? Tonight, guys, I'm going to talk about what hell is. I'm going to talk about 
what love is, and I'm going to talk about something called justice. And I want to assert that it is hell that should make sense to us, not heaven. We all think that we deserve heaven. We think that heaven, like, we just automatically should get that. But the truth is, we deserve hell. And the thing that's crazy is heaven. We might ask that question, how can a loving God send anyone to hell? But the question we should be asking ourselves is, how can a holy God not send every single person to hell? What does it mean that our God is holy? He's perfect. What else? Set apart. Without sin. How many of you guys think that our God is holy? I feel like I could say any question and you guys would just raise your hand because it's like mob rule. Uh, guys, we have a, a God who is so holy, who is so righteous and so pure and so just that we should not be able to stand in his presence. We don't deserve to take in breath. We don't deserve because we're all sinners. We're going to talk about that here in a second. I'm getting ahead of myself. But I want you guys to, to know that hell is a result of God's justice. What's justice? Getting what we deserve. Hey, I like that. Consequences for your actions. What does justice look like today? You don't have to answer me, but I want you to think about that. In the world today, what does justice actually mean? Then there's two ways that we can talk about justice. One, like, are people being treated fairly, right? Can we all say that's one form of justice? People being treated fairly, equally. Another form of justice would be the consequences. You get what you deserve. So being treated fairly and then getting what you deserve. What that really means is like, you've heard people say, oh, that person got away with murder, so justice wasn't served. Or that person deserves to go to jail for life. Like, that's the justice of consequences. And then you've got the social movements of this day and age that say everyone deserves to be treated fairly, to be treated equally. But the biblical concept of justice goes beyond those two things. It's not just about fairness and equal treatment. It teaches that justice begins and ends with God. It is not something that humans created. It's not something that we can fully achieve. But we were meant to live in constant dependence on God. We were meant and created to be in the perfect relationship with him, but then what did we do? It's not a trick question. We sinned and we, we fell short. Therefore, God didn't change his justice, but our relationship with him did change. And because God is just, he will deal with sin, okay? God will deal with sin. And there's two ways that God deals with sin. One, in hell, where he pours out his wrath and his judgment. And two, he deals with it on the cross. Um, it's very ironic. I had here um, the, the next part of this little section that I wrote was, I love my family. Uh, I have three kids. Uh, we just had a baby not too long ago. Um, and it never, it's so hard for me to explain to you guys what it's like to be a parent. How many of you guys are parents? Hopefully 
not very many. But you got, we got one? All right. So being a parent, having a child, changes how you see the world, right? Yeah, big time. I love my family, but uh, tonight I got home. I just went home for a little bit after work before I came here and uh, literally walk in the door and I hear screaming. My son <laughs> runs downstairs and he's got this cut right above his lip. Uh, he's three years old. My daughter's five and my daughter, Gracelyn, had just like punched him right in the face. So <laughs> he's bleeding. Um, uh, I wish that was the end of the story, but literally a week ago, she did the exact same thing outside. So he's got a cut on this side of his lip and then a cut on this side. Now, I love my kids. And at that moment, something started to happen inside of me. You can call my wife, by the way. This, this actually happened. Uh, I'm standing there looking at my daughter and looking at my son, and my son is crying and he's got blood pouring out of his mouth. And guys, at that moment, I absolutely hated the anger that my daughter showed and how she reacted in a moment to punch my son, Henry. What did love require of me in that situation? When I look at my kids and I see them in pain and hurting, I want to do anything I can to take that away. If I went home and there was an intruder in my house threatening to harm my family, there's nothing I wouldn't do to protect them. And because I love my family, I would do things that would be interpreted negatively to the thing or person or whatever it is that is inflicting the pain on my family. Does that make sense? When we love something, that means that we hate something else. We, we don't have the luxury of having a one, like, all right, we love something so we don't have to worry about consequences. The truth is, when you love something, that puts you against something else. My feelings of justice, wanting justice for my son, wanting justice for my family, wanting justice for people that are abused as children, people that are raped, for people whose lives have been torn apart because murder and all the horrible things in this world, those feelings that I have inside of me are a drop in the ocean when it's compared to how God feels about the injustice and sin in this world. When you look across the world, some of our students were just in a, a foreign country, and, and here in, in the United States, we have a Western point of view, a Western worldview, a lens that we look at the world with. And we don't think about suffering the same way that people who live in suffering think about it. And until you have a, a Christian worldview or a worldview that is different from what you're currently in, it's going to be hard for you to understand the gravity of sin and the depth of love that God shows us by being just. Uh, all of you guys probably at one point in your life have taken a history class. Uh, can you guys just throw out some names? Who are some people in history that you would say deserve to go to hell? Everybody goes with Hitler immediately. All right, Hitler, anybody else? 
I, I'm sure you're saying names. Um, you can't say your parents um, or siblings. Uh, so why does Hitler deserve to go to hell? Genocide, killing a bunch of people. That's one thing, right? So he murdered people. What if a guy, what if a guy like is just robbing a, a gas station, goes in and shoots somebody? Does he deserve to go to hell? What if a guy just goes in and robs it, doesn't actually murder him? Does he deserve to go to hell? What if a guy goes into the place and says, hey, you suck, and then runs away? Does he deserve to go to hell? What if, what if, hold on here for one second, what if you leave this place and you're driving, like you get in your car, I don't know how many guys drive, I would assume all of you, you're going to leave the parking lot and someone cuts you off, and for a moment in your heart you get really angry at that person for cutting you off. Do you deserve to go to hell? Here's the thing, guys. We are going to quantify everything and justify everything, and we're going to say that Hitler deserves to go to hell. We're going to say that the guy who killed 30 people deserves to go to hell. And we're going to look over the fact that Jesus sets a different standard for what it means to get to go to hell. Um, real quick, Matthew 5. I want you guys to turn to Matthew 5, verses 21 and 22. I want you to let this sink in. I'm going to read it nice and slow. You have heard that it was said to the people long ago, you shall not murder. And anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you that anyone who is angry with a brother or a sister will be suspect or subject to judgment. Again, anyone who says to a brother or sister, raka, and raka is a word of contempt. So... Think of any time you've cussed at somebody. Is answerable to the court. And anyone who says you fool will be in danger of the fire of hell. Guys, the reality is we're not going to live up to the standards of God's morality. And if we're honest with ourselves, we're not going to stand up to the standards of our own morality. How many of you guys have lied to someone you care about? How many of you guys have been jealous or envious of somebody else's things or circumstances? How many of you guys have wished ill on someone else? How many of you guys have punched, hurt physically other people? How many of you guys have broken someone else's pencil because it was cooler than yours? I love that you're still raising your hand. <laughs> guys, the reality is we all deserve hell. I've explained what hell is, and, I, and then I said that this question, how can a loving God send someone to hell? I've explained to you the actual, like, the depth of our sin, right? Because when I say, like, you've had ill thoughts about someone else, that's probably not the worst thing you've done. Romans 3. Flip to Romans 3. I'm taking you all over. I'm sorry. Romans 3.23. This would be a good one to underline in your Bible. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Okay. For, for what? Okay, so what does all mean? 
Everything. It's pretty easy, okay? So if I'm standing here and Hitler's standing here and I say all, well, who, who does that mean? Me and Adolf. Me and, me and my buddy Adolf. There we go. Gosh, that's absolutely terrible. Absolutely terrible. Guys, we all deserve hell. All right, so we've, we've gone from Hitler deserves hell. Some of the Christians in the room are like, yeah, I, I deserve hell. Some of you that don't know Jesus yet are like, I don't think I deserve hell. But then we have this biblical truth here that says, all have fallen short. The standard is too high. None of us can get to it. I told you this is a heavy message. We're talking about hell. We're talking about a loving God sending people to hell. Some of you in this room have lost loved ones that you don't know if they knew Jesus. Some of you in this room don't know Jesus yet, and you're hearing me say this. And guys, I'm not a fire and brimstone preaching kind of guy. I hope you haven't gotten that vibe from me. Uh, the first time I ever heard of the lake of fire, I was in eighth grade, and I went to a Baptist church, and this guy was screaming at me that I was going to just burn in hell forever. And I was like, this is great. I love this. But... Unfortunately, he was right. <laughs> I'm a sinner. And I deserve to burn in hell forever. But guys, here's the good news. Jesus made a way. Ephesians 2. But God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. And he raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So that in the coming ages, he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace, you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works so that no one may boast. Guys, on the cross, when Jesus died, we see the greatest act of mercy and the greatest act of justice. The eternal son took an eternal wrath due to those who have sinned against the eternal God by, him, uh, by himself falling under that wrath and suffering the equivalent eternal punishment in the place of his people. Jesus experienced the eternal punishment and wrath of God in the place of those who he's called back to himself, those that have professed faith in him because he has taken their heart and changed it by the power of the Spirit. That is good news. That is really, really good news. For those of you that are thinking, I don't want to be in hell forever, if that's your motivation, you're going to miss the point that we have a, a Savior who put himself on the cross and took the punishment that we deserve. Guys, if there's no hell, then there's no need for that sacrifice. There's no need for the atonement of an eternal son. If there's no hell, we should draw the same conclusion that the Apostle Paul drew when he put forward the logical implications. In 1 Corinthians 15, 32, if there's no eternal punishment, then there is no magnification of the love of God. As the Apostle, wait, sorry, in Romans 5, 8 and 10. God demonstrates his own love to us. Wait, hold on. Hold on. Okay, this is where I was going. 1 Corinthians 15, 32. If, <laughs> sorry. If the dead do not rise, let us eat and drink, for tomorrow we die. Basically saying if heaven's not, or if, if Jesus and this whole thing isn't real, we should just live a totally different lifestyle. We should just do whatever we want. But knowing that 
Hell is a real place. Hell is a real thing that living in eternal punishment, eternal judgment from God is a reality for lots of people should then change how we view our life with Christ. At the beginning I said this doctrine of hell or this reality of hell should encourage and increase our worship. For the believer, this is really, really good news. That Jesus, the Son of God, would put himself on a cross and take the punishment that we deserve so that we could stand in a right relationship with God, our creator, for eternity. Guys, that is absolutely wild. I don't know how many of you in this room haven't accepted Jesus or, or don't know what it looks like to live a life pursuing God. Some of you guys might be coming and, and hearing all this stuff and, and it's like good advice, good principles, fun time playing spike ball, listening to Nils and his beautiful voice <laughs> and his luscious locks. Uh, that was distracting, Nils. Can you put your hat on again? Okay, thank you. Uh, but guys, it's, it's not just about this fun experience that we have. It's not just about the songs that we sing. It's not just about the people in this room. There are, even in this room, people that don't know Jesus. Have you guys heard that the road is narrow? I don't want you to leave here feeling heavy burdened, feeling down. I want the reality of hell to be good news to you because you are saved from eternal punishment. How can a loving God send someone, anyone, to hell? Well, how can I love something so much and just stand and be passive? When you guys see injustice in the world, is it loving to stand by and do nothing? How would you feel if you were being unjustly treated and someone was with you and let it happen? We have a God who, for some reason, saw all of us who rebelled against him and gave us a way to have a relationship with him again. How can a loving God send anyone to hell? The question is, how can a holy God ever send anybody or let anybody into heaven? The good news of the gospel, the good news of hell even, should 
change how we relate to our peers. It should change how we, oops, sorry, how we interact with the people that are around us. It should change how we share the gospel. We should have an urgency. We should have a sense of real pressure to live a lifestyle that honors God. Not because we want to avoid going to hell, but because we have a Savior, a God that is so good that he lowered himself, put himself on the cross, and died for us. That should increase our willingness to submit and to worship, to praise. We should be encouraged that we have a God who loves us so much that he would make a place like hell. You guys pray with me?